I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. We're going to look again at Romans chapter 8 and we're going to begin again in verse 1. And I actually was, was given the idea uh, to do this by, by Austin, who's up in the sound booth. He said, I'm not sure that you guys got what I said last week, so I'm just going to say it again. And I'm going to keep watching, and until I'm convinced that you get it, I'm going to keep saying it. Namely, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Amen. You see, that is really, that is hard to believe. And it's hard to believe in part because we live in a world where most religious experience is Wishful thinking. In fact, if it's wishful thinking, it is generally categorized as religious experience. The two seem to go together for so many people. And I mean, I notice this when I'm at funerals and people will say things that they hope are true of the departed person, but deep down, they probably can't be true. But they hope they are. So they, they will wishfully think that their belief system is somehow true. And for the most part, that's how we approach Romans chapter 8, verse 1, I think. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. I sure wish that was true. Wouldn't that be great if that were true? Oh, I sure wish that that was true. And so we kind of, you know, we'll hear about it and we'll walk out and hope that maybe it'll work. Maybe there'll be no condemnation. Maybe it'll be true. Well, this morning I want to take another stab at it. And I want to try again to communicate why there's no condemnation. To make another pass and say, There are good reasons that you should believe at the bottom of your heart when you feel most condemned that there is no condemnation in Christ. So let's look at Romans chapter 8 again. I'm going to try again to convince you of this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh 
cannot please God. So there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now what I tried to remind you of last week is that you are in one of two places. You are in Adam or you are in Christ. You are naturally born into the realm where Adam is the leader. He was the first person and when he sinned, everybody followed him in sin. And so we participate in sin. We participate in Adam's broken relationship with God. But if you trust in Christ, you have been buried with Him, you've died with Him, been buried with Him, and raised with Him, so that then you are in a new place. You are in Christ. And when you are in Christ, you follow Christ who is the leader, and His one act of righteousness now counts for you. Instead of Adam's one sin counting for you, Christ's one act of righteousness counts for you. Instead of following Adam in his sin, you follow Christ in his righteousness. You are in Christ. And there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. <clears throat> Another way of thinking about this. I was trying to think, how do we understand the, the sphere of being in Adam or being in Christ? If you are in Adam, you are on Adam's team. Okay? If you are in Christ, you are on Christ's team. And that which is different than the way we normally think. Normally we think that we're sort of the stars. That the game is about us and how well we play the game. But the reality is you're on either Adam's team or you're on Christ's team. And guess what? Just gonna, I don't mean to offend anybody. You're a bench warmer. You're not even, you're, you're just on the sidelines. You're not really playing a game and the game doesn't depend on how well you do. The game depends on the person who is in the arena, Adam or Christ. And so if I'm on Adam's team, then guess what? I get the result of the way that Adam played the game. Adam played the game by rebelling against God and by um, dismissing what God had to say about the way life works so that, guess what? That's what I now get. But if I have trusted in Christ to be my Savior, have died with Him and raised again with Christ by faith, I'm over here and I get the benefit of how Christ played the game. And the fact that he wins the game means that I win the game. The difference being, it isn't about my playing. Because there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are on Christ Jesus' team. Because of how he played the game. Which is a different way of thinking about it. We normally view the world from an individualistic way where I have to do something, I have to uh, believe something, I have to get everything right. 
And, and guess what you have when you have that? Condemnation. At some level, you're not going to get it all right. And so at some level, you're going to experience condemnation. But the way that this is structured is that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Which then you would say, what I mostly need is not to be this great player and have these great skills myself. I just simply need to be on Jesus' team. And if I'm on the team of Christ Jesus, I'm going to get no condemnation. So my word to you this morning is make sure you are on the team of Christ Jesus. If you are unsure, ask the person that you are here with because nothing is more important for you than being on the team of Christ Jesus. Because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But that's, that's all fine. How is that not simply wishful thinking? Well, it's interesting because as you look in Romans chapter 8, you'll notice, if you're very careful, that he gives four reasons. Okay? And the four reasons, they don't stand out to you. If you're, if you're reading an NIV version, NIV is, tries to build some variety and make it a little more interesting, easier to read. They don't just go four, 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 four. The ESV does a little better. But the reality is that there are four reasons here. Essentially, all of them explaining why it is reasonable, why it is right for you to know there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And so, he tries to convince us by way of these four reasons. Now, the reality is, these are so great. I'm going to take two weeks on these four reasons because there's just enough here that it's worth taking some time because I don't think most of us really deep down believe there's no condemnation. So we're going to go slow in hopes that the Holy Spirit will convince us from God's Word that yes, in fact, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. The first reason, he says, is for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. For the law. Now, isn't that interesting that that's the place he would start? For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. I probably wouldn't start off by talking about the law if I was going to explain this. But God does when He explains it. And what He has in mind, I think, is this very thing we've been talking about. The fact that God's law is viewed from one of two perspectives. God's law is seen from one of two vantage points. You either see it from the law from, this, from Adam, which is the law of sin and death, or you view it over here from the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. 
Okay, so the law is God's righteous requirement for you and for me, and it can be viewed from one of two perspectives. Okay, another way that you might, I'm just going to add to this picture a little bit in hopes that it helps you and doesn't, doesn't confuse too much because these words are all used as synonyms or in parallel with in Adam and in Christ. Adam and Christ is really chapter 4. But now that we're in chapter 8, the, the predominant use is spirit. If you're in Christ, you live according to the Spirit. The way that you live in Christ is through the Spirit. But the way you live in Adam is in the flesh. So the, the, the way that you live is either flesh or spirit. And yet that makes sense. The natural way that I would live is in my flesh. That's how I live in Adam. And so, when I go back and I look at this verse, the law of the Spirit of life, when I'm over here in Christ, living by the Spirit, I'm free from the law. The law that causes sin and death when I'm over here. You see, the way that I interact with God's law, I look at it and all I see are God telling me to do this and giving me this rule and and expecting perfection of me that I can't do. And that law becomes sin and death. Back in chapter 5, it reminded us that, or in chapter 7, excuse me, that, that the law almost promotes sin because it just draws it out of me. And when I look there and I try and keep it and I try and do my best, and all I can work at is somehow earning God's favor. I end up spiraling downward in condemnation, right? And so I relate to the law in a way that is sin and death. But if I'm over here in Adam, I relate to the law in a way that is uh, free from that sin and death. And now I recognize the law as fulfilled in Christ. And all of a sudden... I have a completely different experience of what God communicates about Himself through His Word. And again, what it does for us is it highlights, it highlights the way that there's no condemnation. The way there's no condemnation is not by keeping the law. Because so our natural inclination is to think, if I do better, I won't be condemned. If I make God happier because of my goodness, I won't be condemned. And he says, guess what? When you relate to God's law, God's expectations in that way, all that happens is sin and death and you can't escape it. But when you trust in Christ to be your Savior, He doesn't just save you from the penalty of your sin. He saves you from that way of living that makes the law sin and death and now makes the law life and peace and you're free in Christ. And so the key then to no condemnation is not how well you do. 
I mean, I just wish that, that my saying it would make it true for all of us. I wish it would make it true for me. But you know what I do? Is I, I'm just going to make a prediction here that I'm going to mess up here before long. Okay? Might be before the sermon's over. Might be right around lunchtime. But sometime today, I'm going to mess up again. And what am I going to do then? I'm going to feel a sense of condemnation and I'm going to say, how do I get rid of that icky feeling? And I'm going to try and do better and I'm going to come over here and I'm just going to try and keep God's law a little better. And that is not going to work. I'm going to experience condemnation. Instead of trusting in Christ for not only His forgiveness of that offense toward God, but really trusting Christ to enable me to live in a new way by the Spirit. So that in the Spirit of life, this law now is freedom from me. Okay, now that's, that's a start. That's a start. That's His first reason. Because the way that I relate to the thing that would condemn me, okay, which is the law, is different now. That's the first reason there's no condemnation. You relate differently to God's expectations to His law. The second reason, and this one it really forms a foundation for all of these other reasons. And that is, for God has done what the law could not do. So that's why I need to relate to that law differently, because the law can't do what I need it to do, which is to free me from condemnation. But God has done something. Now I want you to notice what God has done. For God has done what? He condemned sin in the flesh. There are a few things that you should notice about this that are really quite wonderful. What am I hoping will be true? I am hoping there will be no condemnation, right? That's what I'm hoping will be true. Oh, please let that be true. Now, why would that not be true? I mean, why would that, excuse me, why would that be true? Why would there be no condemnation? Because God has already done the condemning. You remember our words over there. He condemned Sin in the flesh. So I'm over here in Adam, and what has happened is condemnation. And God has condemned sin in the flesh. So even as Jesus was standing before Pontius Pilate, and Jesus was condemned to be crucified. He was condemned to be crucified that He might, by doing that, condemn this whole situation over here in Adam. He condemned sin in its power to control. 
He's sentenced to finality the way of living in the flesh. He condemned sin in the flesh. That's what God has done that frees me and promises no condemnation. Now, you get that, right? You get that if I'm over here and God has condemned sin in the flesh and all I'm doing is living by the flesh, by my natural way of living, I'm thinking about natural things of thinking, I'm doing natural things that people do, and I'm just in Adam. I'm still on Adam's team. I have not, uh, I have not been transferred to a different team. I'm on Adam's team. And God condemns sin in the flesh. Guess who gets condemnation? Everyone over here. Everyone living with Adam as their leader. All of this is condemned. So it isn't that there's no condemnation. There is condemnation. But there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, you see. And so God is not unjust. God is not one that just stands back there and says, ah, you know, let it go. Ah, it's not a big deal. Ah, you know, sinners will be sinners. We can't really mind that very much. No. God has done... God has condemned sin in the flesh. So He has put an end to this sin and this way of living over here. And so the power that it holds over me is broken. This way of living isn't going to work anymore. And God condemns that. And He does that because the law couldn't do it. This is, this, is the, this is the main thing here. My attempts to make it right by my good behavior doesn't work. I can't do it. The law, my relating to God's expectations, trying to meet them, trying a little harder because I messed up yesterday, doesn't work. When I'm over here in the flesh, the law can't do that for me. Now, I'm just going to say, we're not used to this. This is why this is so hard to believe. Because the way that most of our relationships work, at least the way that we think they work, is that we think that merely by doing more of what someone else wants us to do, we'll somehow compensate for not doing what they wanted us to do. Okay? You guys know this. You're trained by your parents in this way. When, when you, let's just say you got up when you were supposed to be taking a nap. Alright? And you got in trouble. And you, if you, maybe you didn't get a spanking, which is, it is what it is, right? Something happened. You got sent back to bed and they added 30 minutes. Or you, you somehow got in trouble and you had to do something over here that your parents wanted you to do to make it right. And, and we're trained that that's how things get made right. 
Husbands, you know this. I mean, you do something you're not supposed to do. What's a, what's what are you gonna? How are you gonna fix that at home? Okay, maybe you were you played golf and you played too long. Okay, and you were late, and so you you know dinner's cold and you're in trouble. Okay, and how are you gonna how are you gonna make that right? Well, you're gonna do the dishes for sure that meal, right? And, you know, then if there's, you know, you might look around and say, oh, well, I, you know, I could vacuum or I could, you know, dust or I could do something to make up. And pretty soon, maybe she won't be upset with me anymore. And we expect that we're going to somehow be able to compensate for an offense by our performance in the future. We do this everywhere. I mean, you're... What do you promise? You're late to work and somebody calls you out on it. Well, I'll be on time tomorrow. I mean, I'll be on time all next week. I'll be on time for the next... You know, it'll never happen again. I will never, I will never have that offense again. That's what we promise. We are over here trying by the law to, to reconcile this relationship, to make it right. And it doesn't work that way. can't make it right. Because the way, of, the way that relationships are restored is not that way. And so the same is true with God. Then we think, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'll, I'll, never, uh, I'll never have a, that bad thought again. I'll never, you know, I'll, I'll never lust again. I'll never lie again. I'll never... And you fill in the blank. And guess what? Yes, yeah, sure enough, it does. And when it does, you experience condemnation. That's not how it's going to get fixed. It has to be fixed over here with the forgiveness that comes from Christ and this new way of living whereby the Spirit empowers you to live in a different way than in the flesh. You can't in the flesh over here, said the law could not do. What could the law not do? The law couldn't condemn sin in the flesh. The law couldn't fix your problems with sin. That's what the law couldn't do. Only God can do that. God has done what the law couldn't do. God did it. Now, how did God do it? By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. See, this is, this is the, the introductory you know, good news, really. This is the first thing that you need to hear about the good news is that God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. That whoever believes in Him will not perish, but has everlasting life. And so God sent His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And what God did is that God sent His Son over here to be like us. To live in this world that was dominated by Adam. To come over and experience life, you might say, on this side. 
And it, I think there are a couple of important things that are just worth mentioning. He sent his only son. This implies that his son preexisted before he was in the manger. God sent him to be born into a manger so that he might live in the likeness of sinful flesh. That's one of the things that it implies. The other is that he came in human uh, likeness. He came to be a human being, but without this sin, without this mode of operating by the flesh. So he was over in this sphere of Adam in the way that we experience the world, and he did it without sin. And he did it for sin. So that Jesus came and lived in this world. He lived without sin so that His death, His burial, and His resurrection might count for other people. Because they didn't need to count for Him because He wasn't experiencing sin and death over here in Adam like everybody else did. So He came in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, just like Romans 3 says that God gave Him as a propitiation to satisfy God's wrath so that those of us who believe might be forgiven and clean and restored and now experiencing life in a new way. See, that's what it means when we say Jesus died for sin. He came so that sin might be done away. So that sin might be condemned over here. But that those who trust in Christ might escape that condemnation and come over here and live in Christ to be free. So that, with the result that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. This is what we're after. This this is no condemnation. I am over here and I've blown it and I, I don't want to be condemned. So what am I going to do? Well, you know what? If I have not fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law, I'm going to have condemnation. Unless I am on this team, in this sphere, living in this way, in Christ. So that He, by His playing, not my playing, right? His playing, He has fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law and and His victory there counts for me. And if the righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in me, that I am now righteous in God's eyes, there's no condemnation. Because what God expects from me has been fulfilled in Christ, not by my failure or by my trying harder over there. And so I benefit from the way that Christ came into this world and the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, I get that. So that now over here, the righteousness, the righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in us 
who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Okay? This is not a, this is not a condition. Okay? For those of you who are good law keepers will hear this in the wrong way, perhaps. You'll hear this as, now if I just walk well enough in the Spirit, if I just do all of the right things in the Spirit, that, that's not it. If I am over here in Christ Jesus, and I am walking by the Spirit, the, the manner of my life is now spiritual, then the righteousness of the requirement of the law is fulfilled for me. It's not a, it's not a how well am I doing on a scale of 1 to 10 today. It's a, it's a good or not good thing. Either you're in Christ and you're good, or you're not in Christ and you're not good. It really is that simple. And so, if you're in Christ, by definition, you are going to be walking by the Spirit, and, which is the way of living over here in Christ, as opposed to walking by the flesh, which is the way of living over here that, that tries to manipulate God with the law under Adam... And it's not going to work. And so God has done something by sending His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin so that the righteousness requir- righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. And then I will walk in a different way by the, by the Spirit. Will I do it perfectly? I guess maybe that's the thing. Maybe everyone thinks, oh, well, you know, somebody in Christ is going to walk by the Spirit, so no more problems. No more failures. No more sins. That's not the, that's not the case. There will be failures. There will be, you know, sin over here. But the fact is, it is the performance of Jesus as the, the lead player on my team that has won for me then the, the freedom and has fulfilled the righteousness requirement of the law. So there's no condemnation. For the law of the Spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. And God has done something in His Son that has... Uh, fulfill the righteous requirement of the law in me so that I don't have that condemnation anymore. That's why you should believe it. That's why it all comes together in the person of Jesus. And you don't have to make it up. And you don't have to wish it to be true like somebody might wish a fairy tale to be true. This is something historical that God has done in the cross of His Son in the empty tomb so that you might experience no condemnation. And the question then is, do you believe it or not? Does what Christ has done count for you or does it not? And you then can be free to live this new life in Christ. Or as we have already sung, as we have for a theme for the book of Romans, you can be truly alive. Instead of over here laboring under the pressure and the failure and the attempts 
to somehow get right with God only to experience more condemnation. And so the good news, the good news is that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I do want to thank You for what You have done for me in Christ. Father, I thank You that that is not a private thing that You have done for me, but You have done that for all who will trust Him. And so, God, I pray that You would enable us to believe. God, every single day we go through this uh, up and down, this back and forth, this failure and trying to fix it. God, I want to praise You that Jesus has fixed it. I want to praise You that what He has done has completely satisfied You. And all that You require of me has been met because of Christ. And so that there will be no condemnation. Father, would You, would you free us from condemnation? Would You help us to experience this new life in Christ in a way that is free from condemnation? as You intended, that we might be truly alive. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.